What number is this, Chip? Zilch, 119. Mickey goes to bat. Mickey does the Mighty Quinn. FMB tour dates and the new album. We have winners. Elliot Marks with Have You Heard This? And Bronwyn Knox and Monkey's Machine take a look at the Monkey's second episode. Boy, that's a lot, huh, Christine? That is a lot. Okay, Davey. <laughs> okay, don't, don't get excited, man. It's because I'm short. I know. Zilch. You're listening to Zilch, a Monkey's podcast. Welcome back to your podcast full of monkeys. I'm Ken Mills, one of your hosts of Zilch, and today I'm joined by Christine Carlson Wolf. Hi, Ken. How are you? I'm doing great. You know, people are probably bored with me saying this, but it's never dull in the world of the monkeys. Today on our show, we have a hodgepodge of monkeys news and some monkeys coolness. We do, we do, and uh, a lot of the news and coolness is surrounding Michael Nesmith. And the FNB Redux. Mm-hmm. We know now that, uh, thankfully, his he's feeling better. And he and his FNB Redux band are prepping for their tour coming up in September. Uh, I know that uh, a lot of Zilch Nation has been chomping at the bit about wanting to know when tickets were going on sale and which shows are really still happening and are any of them not and so forth and so on and what have you. Here is what we know. We know that there are tickets for several dates that are currently on sale, and we've heard that there are more dates to come. So if you're aware of at one time there was a show scheduled at such and such a city, Hang tight. It might be still coming. We haven't heard any news that any of them have been canceled. So grab your keys to the car and check out one of these shows that we know are on sale now. Friday, September 7 in Houston, Texas at the Heights Theater. Saturday, September 8 in Austin, Texas at the Paramount Theater. Sunday, September 9 in Dallas, Texas at the Kessler Theater. Thursday, September 13 in Chicago, Illinois at the Old Town School of Folk Music. Friday, September 14, in Royal Oak, Michigan, at the Royal Oak Music Theater. Saturday, September 15, Kent, Ohio, at the Kent Stage. Monday, September 17, Alexandria, Virginia, at the Birchmere. Wednesday, September 19, Somerville, Massachusetts, at the Somerville Theater. Thursday, September 20, New York City, baby, Concert Hall at the New York Society for Ethical Culture. Saturday, September 22, Phoenixville, Pennsylvania at the Colonial Theater. Sunday, September 23, Ridgefield, Connecticut at the Ridgefield Playhouse. Whew, that's a full month. And like I say, we've heard that there are more dates that are going to be announced. So keep your eyes and ears peeled. As soon as we know anything, we will, of course, tell you. And of course, wherever there is a tour, Zilch has buttons. So check out our Facebook page for the master post of all the show dates that I just mentioned. 
and see who my button ambassadors are going to be in each city. If you don't see somebody at a city that you are going to attend, maybe you want to be the button ambassador for that city. We'll talk. Watch for the post in Facebook. Yes, we are looking for some Zilch FNB button ambassadors. So be on the lookout. Now, we're doing something different with the buttons this time. Some cities will be getting a red band and some will be getting a blue band, depending on which city you go to. That's right. Never know what you're going to get, just like a box of Cracker Jacks or a box of chocolates. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Michael Nesmith and FNB. Their new album is dropping. I, when is that coming out, Christine? Um, it's set to drop August 3rd, uh-huh. so very soon. But you can get it before it's out. That's right. We have a contest that we ran just this past weekend to win it before you can buy it. Zilch has gotten their hands on a couple of early copies of the CD. It's wonderful. You are going to love it. It's always exciting to have a new album from Michael, and uh, 7A Records was very kind to Zilch and gave us um, an extra copy, an early release copy, and we are passing it on to a lucky winner. Just this past weekend, we ran a contest to win it before you can buy it. We put up a post and asked our Facebook Zilch Nation members to share it. And every time they shared it, their name would go in the hat for a chance to win. We had 282 entries in a day and a half, guys. That's incredible. Mm -hmm. Christine, I know you've got the device there. Are you ready to pick a winner? You ready? As of this recording, it is Sunday morning and we are picking the winner. Are you ready? I'm ready. I've got my finger on the button to generate the name. I've got all entries in, so here we go. Ha! I love it. Our winner is the lovely Nezhead Shannon Lee. Congratulations, Shannon. I know that you you kind of stuffed the virtual ballot box and that's okay here uh, in our elections. You had over 30 entries, and you have proven your Nez head stripes through and through. So congratulations, Shannon. Your CD will be coming to you very, very soon. Mm-hmm. And by the time you hear this, since we're not putting it up on Sunday morning, <laughs> <laughs> there will be another chance to win. We actually have a few that we're going to do this with, and thank you, 7A. It's fantastic, and we've heard the album. What do you think? Well, that's like I was there. I mean, I was. Yeah, (laughs) you actually were there, and it's... I was! It's kind of cool to have a live album you actually were at. Kind of a souvenir, uh, uh, just uh, for a lucky few, that's uh, extra special, yeah. Yeah, It's and the, the album sounds great. Yeah, 282 entries this time around, and, uh, and you know, sadly, we could only pick one winner this round, but the contest got such a huge response that we decided to do it all over again. Oh, wait, that's a slightly different band. <clears throat> we decided that this contest deserved a redux of its own. <laughs> so look for another new contest post on the Zilch Facebook page next weekend. We're going to run it again next weekend. 
to try your luck to win another copy of Live at the Troubadour before you can buy it. Mm-hmm. And we love it when you share things on the Facebook page because that is one of the best way to let your monkey friends know about Zilch and all the cool stuff that we have going. Absolutely. We're hoping to have Christian Nesmith on and Glenn and Ian to talk about this great release. But right now, here's Fred Velez with his mini-review of the new Michael Nesmith FNB Redux album, Live at the Troubadour. Take it away, Fred. Ladies and gentlemen, Michael Nesmith. And just think, it only took me a half a century to get back, Michael Nesmith says with an audible smile on his face, early in his set with the first national band, Redux, on the stage of the world-famous Troubadour Club in Los Angeles, to a loud and appreciative crowd. This historic event is perfectly captured in the new 7A record CD release, Michael Nesmith and the first national band, Redux, live at the Troubadour, recorded on... January 25, 2018. When Nez announced that he would be doing a short tour featuring a new version of his second band after leaving the Monkees, performing songs from his first three RCA albums, the enthusiasm from fans guaranteed that all the dates would be sold out. The Troubadour, where Nesmith early in his career was the MC and where the producers of the Monkees project discovered him, was the ideal setting for this concert and this was where he debuted the original incarnation of FNB. The concert opens with a blistering version of Nevada Fighter. song to launch with. Next are the trilogy of songs from the Magnetic South album, followed by The Crippled Lion and a poignant Joanne with the audience singing along. Nesmith is in remarkably great voice and charmingly good humor throughout the concert. The first national band, Redux, offers spot-on recreations of the songs. The band, consisting of 
Nez's sons, Christian and Jonathan, on guitar and vocals, Jason Chesney on bass, Jim Cox on keyboards, Christopher Alice on drums, Cersei Link and Amy Spear on vocals and percussion, and Peter Finney on pedal steel guitar, doing an amazing job, recreating the incredible arrangements of the late pedal steel guitar master Red Rhodes. The sound of the CD was mixed and mastered by Christian Nesmith, which sounds wonderful coming through speakers or headphones. The lushness of the song Lady of the Valley really comes through in the mix. The background vocals of Cersei and Amy are nicely reminiscent of the vocal stylings of Emmy Lou Harris. On the track 50 Years, Nez tells the story of when he performed these songs a half century back on that same stage and the favorable reaction he got from the audience then. He then quietly plays and sings the most beautiful version of propinquity I've ever heard that made my eyes misty. This is followed by a different drum, which he jokes that the TV producers didn't see it as a monkey song, which is then followed by a song that did make it into the monkey's first album, Papa Jean's Blues, with the audience joining along on the verse, For I love you and I know you love me. And one can tell from the recording that Nez must have been smiling appreciatively at that moment. As mentioned earlier, Nesmith is in great voice at this show, even handling the high notes and his trademark yodel on the songs like Keys to the Car, Mama Nantucket, and a lovely rendition of Silver Moon, ably assisted by the background vocals of Christian, Jonathan, Cersei, and Amy. Many of the classic FNB songs were performed at the Troubadour like many of the classic FNB songs were performed at the Troubadour like Grand Ennui, Dedicated Friend, and Some of Shelley's Blues. Concert and the CD ends with Thanks for the Ride. Peter Finney recreating Red Road's classic pedal steel guitar arrangement to perfection. The standing ovation of the cheering audience can be felt as the sound of the CD fades. 7A Records always does a great job packaging their projects and this CD is no exception. The lettering and cover design are raised, giving the cover a nice texture to the touch. The CD booklet features wonderful photos of Nez and the band on the Troubadour stage. Nesmith wrote the liner notes where he recounts his early experience presenting these songs to the powers that be on the Monkees Project, who rejected them leading to the origins of the original First National Band and the current incarnation of the First National Band Redux. It's a fascinating read that gives one another revealing insight into Nesmith's career. Michael Nesmith is considered one of the founding fathers of country rock, alongside artists like Graham Parsons. The songs on this CD, the two-disc vinyl version will include Rio, exclusive to that release, justifies Nesmith's qualification. Executive producers Glenn Gretlund and Ian Lee have produced another fine quality addition to the 7A Records catalog. Not only is this a release that Monkees and Nesmith fans must own, but also lovers of country rock should include Michael Nesmith and the First National Band Redux Live at the Troubadour into their collections. History never sounded better than this. Thanks for the ride, Nez. This is Fred Velez, 2018. Thank you very much. Thank you. <laughs> Fantastic.
That was a great review. Thanks, Fred. On our last episode, Zilch 118, we had the lovely Sarah Jones stop by, and she talked about the brand new website, the brand new company that's going on. Along came Jones Media, and and the response was really good. Yes, it was. And it was a great show, Ken. I loved that you and Sarah had such an obvious good chemistry and connection. She was a great guest and it was a very touching interview overall. Yes, she is just fantastic. And it's it's great to know that they support Zilch as well. You can tell they do. That's right. They're very appreciative. And uh, and that makes us feel very good because we do this as huge geeky fans and out of a place of love and to know that the love is felt and reciprocated is just that's the icing on the cake and she wanted to make sure that i pass this along to our listeners and our facebook people and our twitter people and they do appreciate all the love for davy and the monkeys that's right and them Mm -hmm, absolutely (laughs) the extended family that's right we we love all of them all the monkey kid royalty we love them as well (laughs) Absolutely. Now, Jody Ritson was kind of behind something really cool happening, and she was on the show to talk about it a couple episodes ago, and it was Mickey playing ball, right? Kind of not. (laughs) Well, he hit it out of the park. Well, okay, yes, he did. Yes, he did. Yep, on uh, July 1st. Mickey was actually, he was given the honor of appearing at Citizens Bank Park in Philadelphia to sing the national anthem before the Phillies-Nationals game that day. To say he knocked it out of the park is an understatement. It was kind of jaw-dropping to hear him perform. It was really, really great. Let's give a listen. And now, ladies and gentlemen, would you all please stand and help us honor the United States of America. You're invited to join actor, musician, television director, radio personality, and theater director, best known as the vocalist and drummer of the Monkees, Mickey Dolenz, as he sings our national anthem. Oh, say can you see by the dawn's early light what so proudly we hail at the twilight's last gleaming whose broad stripes and bright stars through the perilous fight or the ramparts we watched were so gallantly streaming and the rocket's red glare the bombs bursting in air gave proof through the night that our flag was still there. Oh, say does that star-spangled banner yet wave o'er the land of the free and the home of 
fantastic job. He stepped up to the plate and knocked it out of the park. Pretty good, huh? That's right. And that wasn't all. I mean, you know, Jody did uh, a really nice job of putting together a full day, not just for the singing of the national anthem. She organized a big party and lots of fans and Mickey's family were there and they shared a suite at the game. So they got to hang out all day. But the other thing that that happened is Mickey got a second honor. He was after the game, he was bestowed Philadelphia's version of the key to the city. It's called the Liberty Bell Award. Uh-huh. Uh, and this is a this is a cool thing, kind of different than than how many giant keys can one rock star have, right? Yeah. <laughs> so so this was a, a nice honor. Um, and I think what made it extra special is, uh, you know, Mickey's wife, Donna, is from Philly and they have several family members who are still in the area. Um, so they all got to witness and, and take part in that, uh, in that event as well. So it was a nice day for everybody. It was great. Yeah. It was really cool to see Mickey in the baseball hat and the Jersey and Donna in the Jersey, by the way, she, she looks extremely fantastic in a Jersey. (laughs) She does. She looks pretty extremely fantastic in everything I've ever seen her in. She's just gorgeous. We love her. And she's as sweet as she is pretty. Yep. That's right. Of course, um, nobody can wear a jersey, a Phillies jersey like the Philly Fanatic. And we've got a picture of uh, Mickey and the Fanatic. (laughs) We're going to put up all these pictures in the show notes when, uh, when this is aired. So take a look at those. For those of you who haven't seen the Philly Fanatic, he's big and green. He looks like a Muppet. Yep. A big, one of those big Sesame Street Muppet type characters. Yep. And one of those birthday blower, you know, the the horn things yeah. that unspor- unroll, that shoots out of his nose. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it sounds like a personal problem, but hey, he's making it work. So, <laughs> What a great day. And Jody made it a real cool event for the people that could make it there. And it was just a great way to spend a nice sunny afternoon at the ballpark with a monkey. Take me out to the ball game, right? Peanuts, Cracker right. Jacks, and monkeys. So. And like you said, Mickey got the key to the city and the key to our hearts. So, Aww. <laughs> he's always had that for me. I'm a Mickey girl. So, yeah. Mickey, Mike, <laughs> Peter, Davey. Yeah, they, okay. I'm an April Conquest. I'll yeah. <laughs> Sarah and I share that share that proclivity. Yep. <laughs> and here's Mickey Dolans with Preston and Steve from 93.3 FM WMMR and Philadelphia talking about that day. 93.3 WMMR. Everything that rocks. The no secret, uh, Steve and I love the monkeys. We've talked about that many, many times. <laughs> Absolutely. Over the years. Um, and so many great songs, obviously, like this one. And our next guest is going to be uh, singing the national anthem at the Bills game. On Sunday, I'm going to play you a little clip of my favorite song that he sings, just because if you've never heard this, it's a deeper Monkeys track. Yeah. Uh, I the just, stuff that they recorded that was their own material is every bit as good. But this this song is, it's a, it's a, it's a vocal obstacle course, and he does it so well. But listen to this. I wish I had another drink. I wouldn't be so hot to sing. I should have taken time to think. Besides, I got the picture straight. You must have had another day. I didn't need this extra way to wish that I could see the way to show. Bit more. 
gentlemen, please welcome Mr. Mickey Dolan yeah. to the show. Hey, Mickey, how you doing? Oh, wow. Yeah. Listen. Uh, I'm good. You still you are you, good. You yeah. still, can you still pull off going down? Because I've seen you do it before, and I just, I, it, that's got to be such a hard song to sing. I do it every night. Wow. Every night in my show. Whenever I do a show, yeah, I do it all, all the time. Uh, uh, but I do it slightly differently. I go, float. Down the river with <laughs> <laughs> uh, a quick, a funny, quick story. When I first went in to record that song, it was a track that we'd done, and we had Diane Hildebrand write some lyrics. And I went in to routine it, and I started singing it against the track like that, floating down the river with. She said, "No, it's twice as fast." Mm-hmm. Wow. <laughs> I was I was re great tune. I was refamiliarized with it uh, when I saw it on Breaking Bad a few years ago. Uh, it was in a, oh, a yeah. yeah, it was in a, a meth making session, and <laughs> and I was like, oh my god! I'm like, I forgot how awesome this song was. So it's I, I, I it's got to be cool when you guys will see your material uh, continue to surface after all these years. You know, it does. I mean, it is uh, yeah, it is very gratifying. Um, the writer of that episode who uh, had put it in the script and in the show, a guy named Thomas Schnauz, uh, one of the executive producers, writers of Breaking Bad, and now, of course, Better Call Saul, he, um, uh, uh, he got in touch. Uh, uh, and uh, I thanked him for putting the song in the show. Now we, we became really good friends. I, I, I have to tell you, I've, I've become sort of addicted to this documentary I've, I've watched over and over again called The, the Wrecking Crew. About the the the, the yeah. super L.A. musicians, uh, the studio musicians that helped shape basically all the great music we were hearing in the '60s and '70s, and and you are a, a staunch advocate for uh, what they achieved as well. Oh, absolutely! I thought that it was about time that they uh, got credit. You know, credit where credit is due, and um, uh, they, a lot of them became very good friends, uh, including, of course, Glenn, Glenn Campbell. Yeah. Um, he played. He played on my first recording session before the Monkees. Wow. What, what, what was it like working with those guys? Because you know, like you and and you you obviously you know you music is is important. It's, it's critical to uh, to you know uh, your livelihood and, and 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 so many other things. But the, those guys hanging around and and girls as well, uh, you know, discussing creating music and Carol discussing Kay. yeah, discussing that. That whole thing, it, it, it's its its something that, uh, you know, it, it's got to be cool to be part of that brotherhood. Well, it was. Um, you know, they were obviously the consummate studio uh, cats. Um, but there's always been studio cats around. Yeah. Um, they, just, they just never got so much credit for it. And it was wonderful uh, watching and playing with them, too, at times, you know, because very often we would play along with, uh, you know, studio cats, like everybody did, as you now know from watching the documentary. Um, And Hal Blaine and Earl Palmer were constantly trying to help me out and give me tips when I was learning to play the drums, because as you you probably know, I I was a guitar player. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Uh, But they cast... They cast me as as the wacky drummer, and I I worked very hard at it, uh, being the being a wacky drummer. <laughs> and you were you were a damn and, fine wacky drummer. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, so it was wonderful. But you know, I can I guess in any any part of the business, it was great hanging out with 
great directors, great writers, great songwriters, like uh, you were mentioning Carol King and Jerry Goffin, of course, Boyce and Hart, yeah. Neil Diamond. Uh, um, uh, for instance, I'm singing uh, uh, I'm a Believer at a Neris salute to Neil Diamond in a couple of weeks. Ah, very cool. And um yeah, it's uh, it's it, and of course it's wonderful. Well, when you were at that time when you were walking around the halls, we get the impression like, you know, uh, Dave Gold did the Sound City um documentary as well and those the recording studios like that, you know, when the the record industry was more robust and everything, it seemed like that those places were beehives of activity and 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 Studio studios like that. There seemed to be, you know, you'd pass somebody in the hall who was an iconic musician. Was was that the vibe? Was that what it was like? Absolutely. And you just drift from one, uh, you know, studio uh, room uh, to another. And I don't ever remember there being a sign on the door that said "closed set" or wow. you know, "closed session." Yeah. Closed session. I don't remember that that happening. Uh, but as you say, it was a it was a very very different business and a very very different vibe at that time. Uh, Mickey, I was reading a uh, uh, quote from you yesterday. Uh, you and Mike Nesmith have been tour uh, touring the uh, Monkees uh, present the Mike and Mickey tour. Uh, a few shows were canceled. Uh, Mike is uh, is sick. Is is it anything to be overly concerned about, or do you really know anything? Well, not that I know of. Okay. Um, you know, I don't. Ha- I don't actually have many details, mm-hmm. um, but I know he is being treated. And um, as far as I know, it's uh, all all treatable and doable. Okay. Um, uh, but but I'm any, anything further than that. I'm I'm sort of leaving it up up to him uh, to make any sort of uh, uh, statement or references. Okay. Mike had to have been ahead of his time because I. I didn't see anybody wearing the knit cap, the the toque, if you will, before he did as just a daily, uh, you know, fashion piece. Yeah, yeah, Was that yeah. his idea or did the, 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 the showrunner say, hey, you know what, we're going to put this goofy hat on you? No, no, it was totally him. Huh. Totally his, uh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, totally his idea because I remember seeing uh, him at uh, the Troubadour. He was the hootmaster at the Troubadour on a Monday night. And I remember seeing him there, and this is during the early days before, before we even um, uh, started the series. This is like when we were doing the pilot, um, uh, and waiting to find out if the series had sold. And uh, I went down to the Troubadour because I knew he was there, and uh, he was running the hoot nanny, and uh, he had on the hat. <laughs> oh, it's it's great if you ever get a chance, Preston. There there are they all have their audition films. Oh, I've seen them. I love and, them, and they're they're yeah. just great. Everyone just does a great job, and you see why you all ended up where where you were. Uh, I wanted to ask you, uh, Mickey, about the uh, the film Head, and which was, um, I believe, was Jack Nicholson directed. Correct? No, uh, wrote Jack wrote. wrote it. Bob Rafelson. Uh, the famous uh, director who became very famous. Right, Five Easy Pieces. Uh, Bob Rafelson. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, Bob Rafelson, who was also one of the co-creators of The Monkees, um, him and uh, Bert Schneider, uh, and, and amongst others, Paul Mazursky wrote the pilot of The Monkees, for instance. But Bob Rafelson um, is, was one of the, uh, the main uh, characters and directed many episodes, and then introduced Jack to us one day, 
and said, we want to make a movie. And have you seen the movie? Oh, I've seen it many times. I really, I, I think it is, it's, it's so, so of its time. Can you tell me what it's about? <laughs> <laughs> yes, please. It is so of its time. And I, and, and I have a very wonderful, nostalgic feeling when I watch it. It is, it is not coherent and I don't think it's meant to be. Uh, but, um, no, yeah, but, but uh, I have to ask at that time, you have a, a Nicholson who's got to be, it's got to be like just in and around for, um, Easy Rider time. And, and uh, you know, what what was he like at, at that age? Well, the same as he's been at every age since <laughs> I've known him. Just an incredibly charismatic, funny, intelligent guy. Uh, when we were introduced to him, um, he was just, uh, doing, you know, B-movies as an actor and and uh, wanted to get into writing and doing films. And uh, Bob introduced him to us. Uh, this is before he's a writer. Uh, they made Bob and Bert and Jack and Peter uh, Fonda, of course, and Dennis. They, they made he's a writer using some of the money that they had from making the monkeys. And, <clears throat> um, of course, that altered the whole uh, film landscape, the whole uh, uh, Hollywood film landscape, along with people like uh, Scorsese and, uh, you know, basically created the independent Hollywood film industry. And, yeah. Um, and a lot Jack was Jack was every uh, every since I've known him. He's just like I say, just such a funny guy and, and, and a great guy and charismatic, you know. So singing the national anthem. Uh, which is can be a uh, no matter how accomplished and practiced a performer you are, this always provides, I think, issues for people because it's a uh, it's it's a tough one. Uh, do you have anything that you're you're planning on doing? Any any sort of mantra? Any way you're approaching it, or you're just going to go in and <laughs> wing it? <clears throat> um, I've done it a, a few times in the past, um, uh, a number of years ago, and <clears throat> it is tough. Not only is it uh, a tough. Uh, uh, melody because uh, it goes uh, an entire octave uh, but it's the echo it's the feedback from yeah. the the speakers in the stadium and they warned me about it when i did it the first time this many years ago and <clears throat> i was like oh I've, I've i've heard feedback before you know i've heard echo right but it was it is just crazy you know oh say can you Oh, yeah, yeah. I was at I was at an event where where a young girl was doing it not that long ago, and it took about eight minutes for her to finish the song because she just kept drawing it out. It's a tricky thing for a singer, you know. Well, in those back when I did it originally, they didn't have monitors, they, and oh. they didn't have in ear in ear monitors. So now they do. So I should think that it it helps a lot. And I have my in ear monitors all ready to go, and um, that will help a lot because I can just basically dial out the feedback, the echo, not feedback, uh, echo. Right. And the delay, it's actually a delay from all the speakers around the stadium. And just dial it out and close my eyes and forge ahead. <laughs> yeah. It's the way to do and it. The torpedoes. <laughs> <laughs> There's a, uh, Ron Howard did a great documentary about the Beatles called uh, Eight Days a Week. And it was just basically showing all the documentary of live performances. And they, and they made the point in that documentary that when they played Shea Stadium, they were playing basically over the stadium's sound system. So you you guys were were not much you know later than that in performing in in similar situations. Uh, what what was it like to perform with really what is now dramatically substandard sound? 
it was very difficult. Yeah. <laughs> we, I remember that I, I ended up, um, uh, well, there were no monitors back then. Mm -hmm. uh, and as, so, as you say, you were playing over some sort of a sport uh, system, you know, those big metal horns that you used to see around stadiums. Um, uh, the amps, of course, were in line with me or even in front of me. So I, I sometimes I could not hear wow. Mike or Peter or, or anything going on except what was coming off the back wall. And I, there I'm playing drums and trying to sing uh, many of the leads myself. And so Mike and I worked out a system because I could not hear them uh, over the screams and stuff too. And yeah. um, so Mike and I worked out a system because he was in front of the amps. He could hear me. He could hear uh, himself, of course, and Peter, uh, bass and, and keyboards. And so we would, uh, we, we set up this system where he would click his heel of one of his boots and I would use it as a visual. Oh my God. Click track, okay. As a visual click track. So I could, <laughs> so I could possibly keep going and I would just close my eyes and I still do, I still sing when, when I sing, even to this day, I tend to close my eyes and I'm sure it's because of this experience. I close my eyes. I, I look at his foot, get the uh, tempo and then close my eyes and sing and then open my eyes and check the tempo and then, and then go back and keep singing. And that's astonishing. And hit, hit the, yeah, it was, it was tough. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're basically playing deaf. You know, you're, you're, you're just hoping you're hoping yeah. that it's landing. Yeah, right, exactly. Wow. wow. All right, so Steve had mentioned the uh um, you know, the national anthem at the Phillies game. Will you be performing I'm a believer on uh Sunday as well? No, no, no. Okay. No. That's going to be the, that's at the Neil Diamond the tribute. Yeah, okay. yes, right. Okay, excellent. Well, I know that uh, that uh, there's a uh, special uh, package that was made available that fans are going to be able to sit at the game in one of the suites with you, and uh, the proceeds are going to go to the Make-A-Wish Foundation, which is a really cool thing as well. So, well, listen, Mickey, we it just... Is. We want to do uh, to touch base, and uh, years ago, I think we we had a chance to talk to you, but we'll say it again. And and we're we're huge fans of the monkeys. It was a it was a, a pivotal part of growing up, and one of the reasons that I love rock and roll and still do. But uh, just you know, thanks for all those years. It's going to be cool to see you in town in Philly on Sunday, man. Great, looking forward to it, guys. Thank right. you. By the way, Philly is very special, yes. very special place for me. My wife's entire family, both sides of her family, live in the, the Philadelphia area, so I'm here a lot, and I love it. Awesome. Yeah. Well, when, you, when you're when you're here and, and have a little bit more time in your schedule, you got to come in and hang, and uh, we'd love to uh, yeah. get a, a longer interview to. with you. All yeah. right, hang on. We'll try to find I'd a way to, to. to contact you again. Thank you so much, Mickey. Have a great weekend. Okay. Thank you. Excellent. Bye you got now. it, Mickey Dolan. Yeah. Hi, this is Mickey Dolan's of the Monkees, and you're listening to Zilch. Long title, Looking for the Good Times, Examining the Monkey Song One by One, by Michael A. Ventrella and Mark Arnold. A book that examines each song, gives lots of details about each song, and our own personal opinions. You can find this book on Amazon, Barnes & Nobles, and anywhere where good books are being sold. Our webpage is wordpress.monkeys.com, where you can see many of the songs and give your own opinions of them. And we will be discussing this more on Zilch. You know, it's weird. I'm looking at the Zilch Blogspot page, zilchmonkeyscast.blogspot.com, and I'm mm -hmm. looking back at, you know, we're right now we are at episode 119. I'm looking back at like a couple of the episodes around that time 
a hundred episodes ago. Like, for example, did you know that on Zilch 17, we did Headquarters Side 1, Zilch 18, Headquarters Side 2, Zilch 19, The New Monkeys, and Zilch 20 was the first time that Val Carey stopped by the Zilch headquarters. So it's just neat to look back at where we were 100 episodes ago. Some of the best shows. Episode 19 with Marty Ross is, you know, of course, one of fans' favorite episodes. And if you haven't listened to it, you need to. What an, what an amazing guy he is. And he told some great stories. Album reviews, cast members from the show. I mean, gosh. That's that's a pretty good run for Zilch right there, isn't it? Uh-huh. And we are just getting started. So. Yes, we are. And there's a lot of other cool Monkeys podcasts that we need to turn you on to. We've got Craig Smith mm-hmm. and Derek Minier and the lovely Megan Stem Wade. They're doing something called the Same Page Cast, and you need to check it out. If you are into the different mixes of different Monkey songs... It is just in-depth and thorough. and <laughs> It's awesome. They, they really do their homework and, uh, and present it in such a, such a fun way. I love that show. And, of course, we've got Al and Al, the two Owls over at, <laughs> <laughs> over at the Texas Prairie Chicken Home Companion Monkeys podcast. I think that's... Uh, Boy, what a mouthful. What a mouthful. (laughs) That's another really fun show. Uh, Really, really silly and uh, just lots of fun like the TV show. And and check them out, too. They're great guys. I'm going to dub them TPC just just because. There you go. (laughs) Wow. And, of course, we've also got Dave Galvin and his We Want the Monkeys, and very soon he'll be coming up on an episode of Zilch with a look at Harry Nielsen, the second episode of We Want the Monkeys. Mm -hmm. So a lot of cool stuff going on. Today we have a segment from Bronwyn Knox where she talks about Monkey See, Monkey Die, the second episode. So that'll be fun. But before we settle into that, We're going to take a look back at a very cool song off a very strange album. You ready for this? Hit me. Okay. September 9th, 2016, an album came out from Deadline Music. It's called Harder and Heavier, the 60s British Invasion CD. That sounds pretty cool. You know, you might might expect to, to see Mickey on a 60s album, you know. But British Invasion? Right. Let me let me read this to you. One of the most unique projects to come along in years, this 2010 CD features all new recordings by some of the biggest heroes of metal performing supercharged versions of hit songs from the 60s British Invasion. Features performances by members of Twisted Sister, ACDC, King's X, Anthrax, New York Dolls, Night Ranger, Motorhead, Quiet Riot, Wyatt Lion, and more. This album has, believe it or not, are you ready for this lineup? Yeah, let's hear it. Paint It Black, the old Stone song with Dee Snyder on lead vocal, George Lynch from Dawkins, and Frankie Benelli from Quiet Riot. Then you've got the Mighty Quinn featuring Mickey Dolenz from The Monkees, John Five, an amazing guitar player from Marilyn Manson, Billy Sheehan from Mr. Big, the David Lee Roth Band, and so much more, and Greg Bessonette 
who's in Ringo Starr's touring band and David Lee Roth's band back in the 80s. That's wow. Here's here's just some of the other things. We've got It's Not Unusual with members of Quiet Riot and ACDC, Twist and Shout with Lemmy from Motorhead and Scott from Anthrax and Greg Bissonette again. She's Not There with Doug from King's X, members of Quiet Riot and uh, ACDC on that as well. We Gotta Get Out of This Place by members of Judas Priest, Tim Ripper Owens, and All Day and All the Night, the Kink Song with members of Rainbow, Night Rangers, Quiet Riot, ACDC, Wild Thing <laughs> with members of White Snake, The Firm, Quiet Riot, and Fuel, Doo-Wah Diddy, yeah, that's, that's not a typo. <laughs> <laughs> David Johansson from the New York Dolls, Tracy Gunn from LA Guns, Quiet Riot members and ACDC members. I'm a man with Terry Reed, Richie Cousin, members of the Firm and Quiet Riot, and my generation with members of White Lion, Cinderella, the Firm and Quiet Riot. So it is a trippy album. Wow, I mean I'm just sitting here, I'm I can feel my face I have this big stupid grin and I I'm I'm nodding. I'm like, "Yeah, yeah, I can hear them doing that." And oh, that'd be awesome too. I need to get this. Mhm. Well, as a special treat right now, we're going to play The Mighty Quinn featuring Mickey Dolan's John 5, Billy Sheehan, and Greg Bessonet. This is a song that you may know from your youth, but you've never heard it like this before. Take it away, Mickey.
Unbelievable. So you can get that album. It's still out there. You can get it on Amazon. Actually, there's some copies fairly cheap if you don't mind buying used. Or check your local record store as well. Harder and Heavier, the 60s British Invasion CD. And it's got a flying V guitar with the British flag behind it. So it's it's a pretty cool package. It's, very, it's one of the most bizarre cover albums I've, I've ever picked up. <laughs> I'm going to have to check that out for sure. Mm. <laughs> So, fantastic. And before we move on to our next segment, I'd just like to send uh, a message to all Zilch listeners. If you like some of the craziness we do here, we also do other shows about Kiss and Cheap Trick. And we have another show called Pop, and where we talk about everything. We talk to Robbie Rist from The Brady Bunch and a bunch of other people and so many different things. We talk about Star Trek, Batman, everything. And... Everything and anything, right? Movies, television, music, theater, um, <laughs> on the Facebook page, fashion <laughs> it seems to be a, a, yeah. an unusual yeah. and popular subgenre of pop culture. Anything pop culture, we cover it on pop. And we've got the newest version of pop. It's called the Fun Size Show, and it is... <laughs> It is a short podcast. If, if you don't have 80 minutes or two hours to, to listen to a show, this is a game show where one person on the show has 10 questions and three guesses to try to figure out the song and the artist that the other person has picked. And who will win? Well, usually, usually the listener because we always play the song, right? That's right. So for about 15 minutes or 20 minutes, you get to hear some fun conversation and get to hear a cool song and try to see if you can guess along with with the person playing. So it's it's a lot of fun. Check it out. The Fun Size Show over at Pop. If you ever want to know where it's at, just ask us. We'll point you in the right direction. Right. It is a lot of fun. I've I've been on it and I've been playing along with all the other uh, all the other contestants. And, uh, yeah, it's a lot of fun. We have something really cool coming up very soon. It's going to be called Monkeys 101. That's right, in which we have two scholars 
are scholars here at Zilch Headquarters. And they really are scholars. They're actual people with doctorates, right? That's right. They wrote their doctor's theses. Roseanne Welsh, the author of Why the Monkeys Matter, will be part of this show. That's a wonderful book, and we recommend that you check it out. And, of course, our own Sarah Clark. So they will be breaking down each episode of the Monkeys TV show, Monkeys 101, coming soon to a zilch near you. Today, we're going to do episode two of Monkeys vs. Machine. That's right. Bronwyn Knox is back with her second episode, this time featuring Monkey See, Monkey Die. Wah. So what'd you think of this episode, Monkey See, Monkey Die? Oh, it's I, I, I have a soft spot in my heart for this one. There's a lot of good um, uh, kind of slapstick comedy and, uh, you know, the winks and the nods to the audience. And uh, I... It was. It's one that stands out to me always as um, very. It, it was innovative at the time, and uh, it's one of my favorites. I like this one better than Royal Flush, the episode that came before it. The, <laughs> the whole running gag about the pigeon, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. The monkeys, brought to you by Kellogg. Hi everyone, this is Bronwyn Knox, author of the Monkeys vs. Machine recaps. You can read this recap and all recaps of the entire series at blissfilpodcast.wordpress.com. Monkey See, Monkey Die, directed by James Frawley, first aired September 19, 1966 on NBC. Episode writer Travis Silverman wrote some other very funny Monkeys episodes like I've Got a Little Song Here, One Man Shy, Son of a Gypsy, and A Nice Place to Visit. She also wrote The Card Carrying Red Shoes as Lee Sanford. Other interesting facts about Silverman, she wrote episodes of The Mary Tyler Moore Show, for which she created the character of Georgette and won an Emmy. She was one of the few working female writers in television at the time of The Monkees. Monkey See, Monkey Die begins with The Monkees rehearsing, which is the first real reference to them as a band that I'm going to count. Also appearing for the first time is Mr. Babbitt, who sweeps in accompanied by villainous harpsichord music. I am kicking you out. Hey, what's the matter? We paid the rent the 1st of September. Yeah, but that was for July. (laughs) Babbitt is played by Henry Corden, and he shows up in several episodes in season one as Babbitt, and in season two as a completely different character. Go figure. Babbitt is demanding that the monkeys pay their rent. If not, he'll toss them out. Mike ferociously defends them, saying Babbitt is not making any of the needed repairs to the house. Hey, I think I've rented from this guy before. After he leaves, Mike quickly comes up with the idea that they should pretend not to know the monkeys when Babbitt's lawyer shows up to evict them, so they put on disguises and funny voices. The person they end up fooling is instead a solicitor who came to tell them they've been named in the will of an eccentric millionaire. Surely their rent problems are over now, right? The monkeys arrive at the late Mr. Cunningham's, that is the eccentric millionaire's, spooky house, 
and are immediately startled by an obviously fake bat. Cunningham's creepy butler Ralph takes them to the reading of the will. I love the shot of Ralph leading them to the parlor with Mike in front and the other monkeys hiding behind him. Next, they meet the fabulous Madame Roselle, Mr. Cunningham's spiritualist, and Mr. Kingsley, Cunningham's traveling companion and hack travel author. Last, but not least, they meet Ellie, Cunningham's cute niece. Davy and Ellie fall instantly in love, and the editors use the starry-eyed special effects for the first time. Miss Ellie Reynolds, the late Mr. Cunningham's grandniece. Davy. 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 Look, statistics prove that two out of three teenage marriages end in divorce. Uh, three out of three. Four, uh, four out of three. <laughs> He's in love. Yeah, for the very first time today. Ellie was played by Stacy Maxwell, who, before the monkeys, had acted alongside Davy in an episode of a show called The Farmer's Daughter, in which Davy and Stacy performed a very familiar song to monkeys fans, Boyce and Hart's Gonna Buy Me a Dog. Young sweet Ellie will be the one to inherit Cunningham's mansion, provided she spends one night in it. This is an unpleasant surprise for Kingsley, Roselle, and Ralph. Cunningham has left the monkeys his library organ with the stipulation that they play it once before they take it with them. They get up to play their inheritance and get out. It really is an awesome organ because when Peter starts to play, the last train to Clarksville romp starts with footage that includes the monkeys driving around in the monkey mobile. This was the first time the song by Tommy Boyce and Bobby Hart appeared on the show. It was also the debut of the Monkey Mobile, the Pontiac GTO customized by Dean Jeffries. The monkeys are trapped on the island due to fog, so they go upstairs to bed. I'd ask where they got pajamas since they didn't have any luggage, but then I'd have to ask why they wear boots to bed. Peter startles Mickey, who utters the first instance of the don't do that line that recurs in many future episodes. After getting frightened out of their room by some spooky noises and a furry monster paw, they run into Madame Roselle, who tells them the butler may be dead. Taking the bait, the monkeys run downstairs and see a knife in the wall, but no dead Ralph. To solve the mystery, Mickey and Davy act out a Sherlock Holmes Dr. Watson costume spoof. Davy, come here, take a look at this. So you see, if you examine the angle of the blade, you will notice that it is precisely two centimeters north of the standard control latitude, proving conclusively that the murderer was indeed a man. Could it have been a woman? Yes, it's not a possibility. Well, who do you say that Ralph? Which one's Ralph? The victim. Oh, good work, Watson. No! Mystery unsolved, the boys go back to their room and try to think of a way to escape. Mike has an idea, and this leads to my favorite scene of the episode. Mike explains his plan to get a message out of the mansion with a carrier pigeon and then a St. Bernard. Then there's got to be a way we can get a message out of here. Hey, what are you doing, Mike? I'm putting out a few breadcrumbs here on the windowsill. Um, I figure it'll attract a carrier pigeon and we can get a message out. Mm-hmm. Okay. See, all we got to do is strap a message to its leg, and um, there's already a message here strapped to its leg. What does it say? It says, please don't strap a message to my leg. I am not a carrier pigeon. Here, boy. Come on, big fella. Here, boy. Here, boy. Hey, where'd you get the bones? 
Well, I found them in the closet. What are they supposed to do? Well, I figured they'd attract a St. Bernard man, and then we could get him to deliver the message. Uh-huh. Yeah. I'll believe it when I see it. <laughs> I believe it. Uh, and now, see, uh, all you gotta do is, uh, is uh, put a message around his neck, and we can get him to... Um, he's already got a message around his neck. <laughs> hey, what does he say? There is a message for you on the pigeon. Later, the monkeys are trying to sleep all in the same bed when they hear gunshots. Out of nowhere, Roselle appears and dramatically tells them Kingsley has been shot. Those that are left in the house sit downstairs discussing Kingsley and Ralph's missing bodies. Mickey gets inspired to get the phones to work and scrambles around attaching the telephone receiver to the tubes in an old radio. He actually gets it working and successfully contacts some foreign sailors who unfortunately only know three words of English. Yes, I do. Are you getting something? I think so! Come on! Hello? Hello, hello? Hello? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you speak our language? Yes, I do. Thank goodness. Do you know how to send an SOS? Yes, I do. Well, great! What's your location? Yes, I do. It was a pretty impressive attempt on Mickey's part, all the same. Madame Roselle has them join hands for a seance to reach John Cunningham. Leah Marmer, the actress playing Roselle, is hilarious in this episode, going in and out of her spiritualist persona in a snap. Watch the episode one time, just keeping an eye on her. Mike is pretty skeptical of this whole seance idea, and her attempt to reach Cunningham fails anyway. Trying to reach the spirit of John Cunningham. He will tell us who the murderer is in his mansion. What is she doing, mansion and stuff? I've never been to this. I gotta have a little silence. I'm sorry. John Cunningham, if you are within the sound of my voice, come to us. I feel a spirit is among us. Are you a friendly spirit? Knock two times for yes. Four times for no. Knock how many times for yes? <laughs> Are you the spirit of John Cunningham? I know this is his answering service. Oh, what are you answering service? Wait, wait. We are trying to reach the spirit of John Cunningham. I am the ghost of Christmas past. Just a minute. Open your heart to Tiny Tim, Ebenezer. Wait, you're the wrong spirit. Be kind to Bob Cratchit. Celebrate Christmas. Would you please get off the line? The man your partner, Jacob Marley. I'm trying to reach John Cunningham. The lights go out and she disappears, leading to the first use of the monkey's running gag. She, he, it's gone when they see she's missing. The lights, the lights, where they go? Someone turned on the dark. Find the lights. She's gone! The monkeys and Ellie get out of the mansion as fast as they can before they vanish like the older adults. Mike suggests they play a little music to cheer them up while they wait for the ferry. The romp to Tomorrow's Gonna Be Another Day by Tommy Boyce and Steve Bennett ends with them in monster's masks and a fifth guy in a monkey shirt and mask who scares everyone away. By the way, during this episode, the monkeys wear the eight-button monkey shirts for the first time. These shirts were created by costume designer Gene Ashman and patterned after the shirt John Wayne wore in Stagecoach. Now we get to the real scam of the episode. The three older characters are conning Ellie and the monkeys. 
Davy, Mickey, and Mike sneak back into the house and find very alive Roselle, Ralph, and Kingsley bragging about driving off Ellie so they can take the mansion. Davy wants to use Mickey's experimental knockout drops to stop the villains, so he sneaks off to slip them a Mickey, <clears throat> so to speak. Roselle, Ralph, and Kingsley hear Peter and Ellie making noise, so they each in turn come out to threaten the monkeys with a gun. Who knew so many old folks in the 60s were packing heat? Peter pulls out an imaginary gun and threatens to shoot Ralph. Conveniently, the knockout drops kick in on each villain just as Peter aims and fires his finger. The bad guys end up in a heap on the ground. In the tag sequence, the monkeys tell their story to the police. This is one of the funniest episodes of the series and one of my favorites. The guest cast, especially Liam Marmer, were excellent. The pigeon sequence and the seance are two standout funny bits, an entire episode full of laugh-out-loud scenes and dialogue. It's a well-written, solid, all-around homage of Agatha Christie-type mystery stories. The personalities and dynamics of the monkeys are clearer here than in Royal Flush. In Monkey See, Monkey Die, Mike emerges as the leader, Mickey is clearly the one with the crazy ideas, Davy is the young romantic, and Peter is the oddball. In this episode, as well as Royal Flush, there is a division between the older and younger characters. The bad guys in this episode are all the older adults. Mr. Babbitt wants to throw the young monkeys out on the street, though he is not a responsible or even reasonable landlord. The adult villains in the mansion are plotting to rob teenage Ellie of her inheritance, and it's up to the monkeys to save the day. There's no wise grown-up to help or guide them. No adult to be trusted. This was the age of the generation gap, and don't trust anyone over 30. The kids are alright, but on the monkeys, they're on their own. Remember, you can find more recaps at blissvillepodcast.wordpress.com. And be sure to check out That Twilighty Show About That Zone podcast, as well as the Vintage Cable Box series. Now, back to Zilch! You can find more from Bronwyn Knox over at blissvillepodcast.wordpress.com. So go to that site, check out her stuff, and we are glad to have her here as part of the Zilch staff. All things monkeys to all monkeys fans, right? Yep. We have an embarrassment of riches when it comes to the deep bench here at Zilch as far as people that love the monkeys who know all things about the monkeys. And here with a brand new segment on our show on the Zilch cavalcade of monkeys coolness is Elliot Marks with his great new feature. Have you heard this? In 1969, the monkeys make a funk record called You're So Good. Have you heard this? Songwriter Bob Stone was looking for a hit. In 1966, he nearly had one. Local New England favorites Teddy and the Pandas charted regionally with Stone's We Can't Go On This Way. This release allowed Teddy and the Pandas to tour with Gene Pitney, the Beach Boys, and the original I'm Not Your Stepping Stoners, Paul Revere and the Raiders. Stone must have thought his big break came when the Monkees recorded his song, You're So Good, in 1969. Unfortunately, their enthusiastic take remained on the shelf. For Stone, You're So Good is not so good. 
Bob Stone did have a handful of songs placed onto the notorious Beyond the Valley of the Dolls soundtrack in 1970. A real cult classic, but not exactly a hit. There's never been anything like it before. If you've been waiting for something new, waiting for a film to shake you into the freaked out, mind-blowing scene of right now, then come and see it, man, and find out why it's called Beyond the Valley of the Dolls from 20th Century Fox. Resilient Stone submitted some lyric ideas to producer Snuff Garrett, including a story song called Gypsies, Tramps, and White Trash. Garrett, a bonafide hit maker, and the man who lost out to Boyce and Hart to produce the first Monkey's hits, advised Stone to soften the title. Cher's recording of Gypsies, Tramps, and Thieves sold three million copies and topped the charts. Bob Stone finally had his massive hit. Used to dance for the money they'd throw Mama would do whatever he could Preach a little gospel Sell a couple bottles of Dr. Let's leave no stone unturned. Bob Stone never again made a dent on the pop charts. However, he did write a number one country hit for Dottie West. Are you happy, baby? I haven't seen you for so long. And with the Duke of Earl, Gene Chandler, he asked yet another musical question. Does she have a friend? An R&B hit in 1980. And it was an R&B sound that Mickey Dolenz was looking for in late 1968 and 1969. At this time, he and Mike Nesmith went to Tony Ferra's nightclub, the Red Velvet Room. Or, the Red Velvet Room had recently been transformed into Sold Out, S-O-U-L, apostrophe D, out, which was owned by Eddie Nash. There is confusion because in 1968, Ferra sold other club properties to Nash, including the Ragdoll Club in the San Fernando Valley. Mickey remembers going to the Red Velvet Room, but the specialty of that club was pop and rock artists like the Knickerbockers and the Turtles. The night in question, there was an R&B group on the bandstand, and this was more the style of Sold Out. Sold Out was owned by the infamous and by all accounts genuinely evil Eddie Nash, who owned a slew of nightclubs, laundered money, exploited women, sold drugs, and was the mastermind behind the infamous Wonderland murders, which police describe as more grisly than the Tate-LaBianca Manson murders. 
Years later, the club changed hands many times and ultimately became the successful club lingerie in the 1980s and 90s, where the Red Hot Chili Peppers, Jane's Addiction, and Nirvana all played. Back to the 1960s. On stage at Sold Out, or the Red Velvet Club, was a group of defectors from the Ike Turner Review. Surprising to none, Ike was a lousy employer, and after not paying his band, they left. Ernest Lane, Clifford Solomon, Willie Webb, Mac Johnson, and Sam Rhodes were on stage performing as Sam and the Good Timers. Nesmith and Dolans were so inspired by the groovy, tight R&B band that they hired them to back the monkeys on their post-Peter Tork tour of 1969. With the TV show over, it was time to change things up. Their classic songs were newly arranged to suit the new band. left some critics raving, but most fans baffled. Undeterred, Mickey knew this style of singing suited his voice, and with such a great band at his command, it made sense to take them into the studio. Bob Stone's You're So Good seemed as likely a funk tune as any of the other songs laying around. The Good Timers horn section laid down the tricky, syncopated parts, emphasizing upbeats and decorating the corners of the tune. Dolan's, meanwhile, summons forth his best Otis Redding and attempts to sock it to you with each soulful grunt. Mickey and the Good Timer horns are great. Strangely, the session guys are playing the backing tracks in more of a Big Brother and Holding Company style. Still, the track works. Perhaps because the tour with Sam and the Good Timers was met with such antipathy from Monkees fans, Your So Good was kept in the vault for more than 25 years. Your So Good would pair nicely with a set list featuring Sam and Dave, Manassas, Janis Joplin, and Blood, Sweat, and Tears. Have You Heard This was written and researched by me, Elliot Marks. From the album Missing Links, Volume 3, The Monkees, with help from Sam and the Good Timers, perform Bob Stone's You're So Good.
Thank you, Elliot. That was fantastic. And, you know, there's so much to learn in Monkey's history, and there's always something new to learn. And it's just, just very cool. Thank you for that. Well, we hope you enjoyed this episode. And, boy, this one was so full of stuff. Wow. It's amazing. I'm looking at the upcoming shows and what we've got coming. I'm looking ahead at what we have coming up, and it's just going to be a fun year for Zilch and a fun year for Monkeys fans. So we are just getting started as we're wrapping this one up. So support and love all Monkeys podcasts, right? Absolutely. There's some really, really good ones out there. Just think they made fun of us in school for liking the monkeys, but we kind of have the revenge. We, we're celebrating doing what we want when we want. Take that. That's right. And besides, they can't make fun of us in school anymore. We're out of school. That's right. Hey, hey, get off my cloud. That's a different <laughs> band. Yes, that's right. That's your next podcast, right? No, I, too many. <laughs> That's what pop is for. If I want to talk about the stones, I'll just talk about the stones on that instead of the stone cast. There you go. Passing the stone with Ken. Oh, God. Now you've got to do it. Paint it black cast. There you go. Can't get any satisfaction? Let's listen to the stones cast. Sympathy for the podfather. There you go. <laughs> we all have that already. <laughs> yeah. We will see you on the next episode of Zilch. Your podcast full of monkeys. <laughs> what? That's a stone. Yeah. <laughs> and that's our show. Zilch is an online nonprofit monkeys audio fanzine made by fans for fans. Any samples of music or interviews heard remain property of their owners. We are not related to the monkeys or any of their members past or present. We are not affiliated with Rhino or Ray Bird. If you hear anything you like from the band, go on Amazon or iTunes and buy it. If you enjoyed the show, like us on Facebook and rate us on iTunes. Thank you for listening. Until next time, I'm your announcer, Chelsea Epstein, saying always take some time to monkey around. How many, how many 